0: All right, turn in your Bibles again this Psalm 94. Remind us again of where we're at. And today I am, as always, I've been using John Frame's systematic theology as our springboard. I'm going to rely more heavily on him uh, today just to set the stage, and we're going to spend several more weeks talking about the knowledge of God Um, as we're dealing with His attributes. This is His intellectual attributes as opposed to His moral attributes that we've already talked about, His holiness, His wrath, His goodness. Um, So, Psalm 94 and we left last week on a note of, of a challenge from something called open theism to the knowledge of God. Anybody remember what the problem they had with, with uh, God being omniscient? What was the problem that they had? They said God cannot be omniscient because of what? What? libertarian freedom of the creature of us or in other words free will if man has free will then god cannot possibly know what man is going to do that's their challenge Uh, so we talked about here we have calvinism says god knows all things because he foreordained all things you have arminianism that says god knows all things but he hasn't foreordained them and then the Socinians went a step further and says God doesn't know all things, and has not foreordained them because man is completely free, and can choose, and therefore God cannot know. Uh, so, this Socinianism gave rise, and I I've just I know I'm just quickly brushing over. There's a lot of things historically speaking, um, gave rise to this idea of open theism. That God has perfect knowledge of the past, even perfect knowledge of the present, but not perfect knowledge of the future. And to that, the psalmist says, verse, Psalm 94, verse 7, yet they say, the Lord shall not see Neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand, ye brutish among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear shall he not hear. He that formed the eyes shall he not see. He that chastises the heathen shall he not correct. And he that teaches man knowledge shall not he know. The Lord knows. The Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are all vanity. So let's understand a little bit more about open theism, and then I'm going to rely very heavily on on John Frame's outline here in this section as it directly challenges open theism. So open theism is the belief... That the future is completely open and God cannot know it. This is a heresy, right? Our God knows all things. And we generally talked about the fact that there is prophecy. means that God knew. And that's the, generally the challenge, but we want to zero in on that truth to attack this. Now, Obviously, anyone who holds this position, in order to try to defend the position, has to deal with the idea that God speaks about future events. So here are the things that they say this means. they, They say that God, when he speaks about future events, is doing one of the following things. He is announcing his own plans. So, A... He is announcing his own plans. And he's a very powerful being. He's very influential. So they would say this carries weight. So when he speaks of the future, he's announcing his own plans. He's talking about what he intends. As one free agent working in reality. Okay? Now, this is what these open theists are going to say. Secondly, they say that if he is not announcing his own plans, he is speaking in very general terms that could be fulfilled by a great many set of affairs. So he is speaking generally about what could happen based on... Various affairs. All right, that's option number two. That's B here, since I'm using letters. Or, they say, if it doesn't fit that, that he is announcing events that are necessary or highly probable consequences of past or present states of affairs. So he's announcing something that is necessary Based on past. Basically, God is examining the evidence and saying, if you all continue to do this, this is what's probably going to happen. Okay? So this is what they're saying God is doing when he's speaking prophetically. Or, there is a fourth option. He is announcing what will take place if certain conditions obtain are obtained. He's announcing if this then this. So they picture God as a very as being a logician. He is speaking logically. He's 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 figuring this thing out. And since God's pretty wise. They say he speaks with authority, but he really doesn't know. That's the argument of the open theist. Now, all of this is challenged by one, can only, can only be challenged by one truth. If what the scriptures speak All right, let's go to Ephesians 1. And I'm going to defend the Calvinist position here. Now, I don't call myself a Calvinist. I will admit that I'm far more Calvinistic now than I have been in my past years of study. Um, That doesn't mean I still don't have questions, but I am defending the Calvinist view, and I think the only answer to open theist is that God knows because he has foreordained. And his foreordination includes free human decisions. Let's examine this again. Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works How many things? All things after the counsel of His own will. So what is happening when we're studying history is we're studying the will of God being worked out after His own counsel, which includes all free human decisions. God has ordained things. That's how he knows what's going to happen. That's open theism says God doesn't ordain all things. And, that's, and therefore, he doesn't know what's going to happen. I'm this free thinker here that's able to do and choose whatever I want. And God has no knowledge of what that choice is going to be. And they've created this either or. It's either this, you believe in for libertarian free will, or you believe in the omniscience of God. Do you see how this runs into one another? Go to Proverbs sixteen nine. How can we be free and God be sovereign? How can we be free and God be sovereign? Proverbs 16:9 what does it say brother Thomas A man's heart devises his way but the Lord directs his steps All right so here we go Man's heart devises his way I can make all the plans I want I can have all the intentions I want but who's directing my steps Who's in charge who's sovereign over every consequence God is You know, there's plenty of people out there that want to murder people. How many of them actually do it? It's not from what of will or intent that they don't murder. It's God that's directing and putting things in their path and and putting this fear, this influence, so-and-so to keep them from murdering, right? And the ones that do, God has allowed, Right? How can we be? How can free decisions happen? Well, it's right there. It's. I mean, it's man, man is free here, but once he starts to bring these acts into the real world, God is sovereign. So when they're saying the, when they're basing this entire doctrine upon this idea of libertarian freedom, again, libertarian freedom is this idea that everything that we desire is all our desires everything about our will is uncaused so it's just the every free every free decision is created in this vacuum uh, uh there's nothing causing that free decision there's no influences to that free decision it's absolutely free that's not creaturely freedom that says we do what we desire what what our utmost desire is uh, there are influences to those desires and so on. So we're not getting into libertarian free will and all the problems with it. But one of when someone has an open theist position and are approaching the scriptures they are approaching the scriptures with a faulty understanding of the human will and they are forcing that human will upon God's knowledge that he is displayed from beginning to end of all human history and all humanity altogether. God knows the end from the beginning in Isaiah, right? And he is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He is doing uh, a work in history and that. And the open theists have to deal with that. So they have these excuses. Well, what is God doing when he's talking prophetically? Well, he's, he's announcing his intentions. He, 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 uh, uh, he's he's announcing what could happen based on if various things are in place. He's announcing what is necessary based upon past events. Or he is saying, if this, then this. And that's all God is doing. He's just working out his super mind to try to figure out what's going to happen. Now, that has to co- does that coincide with biblical data? No. Let's look at the biblical data. And again, I am going to follow very closely to the notes of John Frame here. Genesis 9: 24 through27. If you want to look at it, I'm not going to read it verbatim, but what you have in Genesis chapter nine verses 24 through 27 is Noah speaking as a prophet, uh, speaking as a prophet of God, and he is talking about his sons. He is talking about his one of his grandsons, Canaan, and he gives specific prophecies there about the about the descendants uh grant the grandson canaan is to be a slave of noah's sons uh shem and japheth yahweh is to be blessed as the god of shem japheth um is going to live in the tents of shem and the and there's very importance to what is saying and the saying is going to happen here um and its fulfillment is not for a very very long time um the Shemites will conquer Canaan. When did that happen? Did that happen in the days of Noah? Okay, when did it happen? In the days of Joshua, right? Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to get you all to uh, go through your biblical history, so it happened in the days of Joshua. When did Japheth enjoy the blessings of Shem? When did that happen? It's not a trick question. I just, what do you think it happened? After the death of Christ when the gospel went forward. So, looking at this, Noah knew centuries in advance. And what did Noah know centuries in advance? A lot of geopolitical stuff and a lot of missionary activities all taking place based upon free decisions people make i'm going to read this part, portion of frame The prophecies cannot be fulfilled unless the family of Shem develops into a nation capable of defeating the family of Canaan in battle. For that to happen, countless marriages and births must take place, as well as much cultural development, geopolitical events putting Israel and Canaan into proximity, hostility between them, military power in Israel, and above all, Israel's putting their faith in the one true God. That's a lot of free human decisions. Amen? That's a lot of things that had to come to pass. Did God when he spoke prophetically through Noah know all those human decisions that would be made? And was he in giving his prophecy ordaining those things to come to pass? Yes. He is sovereign even over free human decisions. And Let's consider that going above. God's covenant to Abraham, Genesis 15, in verses 13 through 16. We're just zeroing in a lot of Old Testament things. We're just showing here that God knows all things, even future decisions that are going to be made freely. And He ordains based upon that... We can talk about based on that knowledge or not, but... We're not going to wrap our mind around an eternal God. But, But consider Genesis 15 here. He says in verse 13 through 16, that He says to Abraham, Know this for a certainty, that your seed will sojourn in the land that is not theirs, and be servants, and afflicted for 400 years, And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. Why? Because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. (laughs) There's a lot of free human decisions in that iniquity of the Canaanites not yet being fulfilled. He knew where they were going to be in their own free decisions 400 years later. And reached to the point where they must be at that time judged and destroyed. But also... When you learn later narratives, they were talking about something that God is saying here that involves him knowing all these human decisions before they happen. He knew, for instance, start start right in the beginning. How did they get to Egypt? Well, a bunch of of free thinkers decided Joseph needed to be sold into slavery. (laughs) Right? God knew, and God was working all things, ordaining those things to happen, that He would be thrown into a certain prison that this person that, 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 that these, the Pharaoh would show a certain um, uh, uh, affinity towards him and set him up and make him a ruler. Um, all these events take place through free human decisions, the decisions of Joseph, the decisions of his brothers, the decisions of jacob, the decisions of pharaohs. Amen? And the story was already written by the very hand of God before it ever happened. Amen? That's not this. Similarly, running through some of this, you have the prophecies of Isaac in Genesis 27, the prophecies of Jacob concerning his people. Uh, that I may, he come, brings his children together in Genesis 49, and I'm going to tell you what will come to pass uh, uh, in days to come. We have the prophecies of Balaam and his oracles in Numbers 23. He, the prophecies of Moses in his song. You ever read the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32? You're reading the very history of the Old Testament people. Before it ever happened... Before they were ever a nation in Canaan, he said, You're going to do this, and then you're going to reject your God, and then this is going to happen to you, and this is going to happen to you because you rejected your God, and, the, and you're going to be con-. He is singing in the Song of Moses about God's knowledge of what free human decisions they were going to make. Samuel. This is very interesting. Samuel chapter 10, 1 Samuel chapter 10, 1 through 7. He, and I, I'm again, I'm sticking very close to the frame's notes here because I, I think it's important for us, to, this becomes a important foundation for us to understand the knowledge of God about future events. Samuel gives a prophecy to Saul. And we're not going to go into specifically the prophecies here, but he gives us prophecies as signs that he is king, that he has been chosen to be king. And what do those decide, what do those signs involve? A lot of free human decisions. Samuel says, Saul will meet two men. And I like how Frame says it here. Not one man, not three men, two. Evidently, Frame says, each man made a free decision to travel that road that day. And the two freely agreed to walk together. They also freely decided what to say to Saul. Because Samuel says, they're going to say these exact words to you. Samuel knew in advance. Why? Because God knew in advance. Then Samuel identifies another group of people. And exactly how it will be when he meets them. What they will be carrying. And what Saul will do in response as he begins to prophesy himself. Those people woke up that morning. Why did they decide to do all those things? How did God know? Because he has ordained them. the Lord knows in advance. 1 Samuel 23. Here we have an instance that is sometimes brought up by open theists about God reasoning. Here we have the story in 1 Samuel twenty-three twelve, where David is in the city of Keilah, and he is asking God, God, are these people going to hand me over to Saul if I stay here? And God tells him, if you stay here, they will. So, David decides to leave very wisely. Now, this has been considered a conditional prophecy. Uh, and they would say that this fits in with... Uh, with uh, Maybe C here, that God knows it. Or maybe D, if this, then this, that God is logically saying this. But he's saying basically if C um, uh, or any one of these uh, that can try to fit. Now, here's the problem. God is not saying what he, God, will do in, on that condition. Rather, he is saying what the kilites will, Kalites, Kalites, kil, Heights will do with their free decision. God's knowledge, and I'm reading frame, frame verbatim, even conditional knowledge of human free act does not cohere with a system of open theism. It can't because he knows what they were going to do. What are they going to say? Well, they weren't free to act if he knows what they were going to do. 1 Kings 13, one through 4. We have an unnamed prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord. You all remember the story of the unnamed prophet. He was told to go through, uh, go through Samaria, not to stop, uh, and to prophesy against Je- uh, uh, Jeroboam, um, who had just built some golden calves for everybody to worship. And the unnamed prophet does his duty. He preaches, he, he declares against uh, Jeroboam, and then he is deceived by another prophet to do what God told him not to do, and he ends up getting eaten by a lion, <laughs> But the prophecy of this unnamed prophet here in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 4, where he says against the altar, he says, Behold, a son is going to be born from the house of David. His name will be Josiah, and he's going to sacrifice your priests on these high places, and he's going to burn their bones on it. Now, frame offers some dates here. Jeroboam reigned around 931 to 910 B.C. Josiah reigned from 639 to 609 B.C. So the difference between the prophecy and its fulfillment is 300 years in the future. But what did he do? He mentioned Josiah by name. And what Josiah would freely decide to do. That doesn't fit any of that. Amen? It's a God that knows what's going to happen. So what all did he know? Well, he not only knows Josiah's name, Josiah's actions, but also Josiah's values. He knows that Josiah is going to become a champion in the name of the Lord. It anticipates many other human free decisions before Josiah is ever born, such as a lot of marriages, a lot of births, a lot of marriages, and a lot of births. <laughs> the very name that his parents were going to decide to name him when he was born. The plot uh, that elevated him to kingship in Second Kings 21, Josiah's training and character, his decision one day, to have the priest cleanse the temple and find the book, and then his decision to read the book, his decision, to, his decision to lead a great revival based upon, to make a renewal of the covenant, and then to march his army into Samaria where he would overthrow the altars and burn the priest upon them. God knew all of it and ordained all of it and wrote the story before it ever happened. Amen. That's our God. Our God is not not the God of open theism. He's not. He knows. Elisha tells Hazael. He weeps in front of him as he anoints him as king. And says, and Hazael says. And this is in 2 Kings 8 8:12. Haziel says, "Why are you weeping?" He says, "Because I have saw the evil that you're going to do." And he tells them, he tells Haziel the evil that he is going to do. And Haziel doesn't believe it. What does he say? He says, "What, am I a dog that I would do such things?" And what did Haziel do? Those very things. God knew it beforehand. If the open theist says um, that these are just necessary conditions historically that were met and Haziel ended up doing these things, then they're saying Haziel wasn't free. That he was driven by these conditions. And they undercut the very same thing that they're trying. And also they're giving a lot of... A lot of moral unresponsibility to many other genocides. No, that God knew the evil that Haziel was going to do, and for His own purposes was working good from it. Romans eight twenty eight. He wrote the story before it ever happened. I got to hurry. Psalm 139. Let's go over there. We've talked a lot about general prophecies. Now let's just talk about you. As you climb into the skin of the psalmist, God knows everything about you. I'll get there eventually. (laughs) I told you where to turn, and then I didn't even know where I was going in my Bible. Psalm 139, verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but you, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows the very words that you're going to speak. Amen? Amen. While we're here... God knows, God knows them all together. He's, he is stepping back from the vantage point of eternity and knows everything you're ever going to say. Amen. Verse 16. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, verse 15, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes, thine eyes, did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Well, here we have a whole lot of knowledge about you as you step into the skin of the psalmist as he writes these words. He knows the events of your life. He knows the number of your days. He, int- which he is attributing here to God a profound knowledge of all kinds of human decisions that go into who you are. The length of life depends on... Just take the length of life, for instance. And this is not the only place we can talk about it. God numbers your steps. <laughs> Amen. Uh, length of life depends on a whole lot of things: human decisions, decisions of your parents, caregivers, defi- decisions you make concerning your health and diet. decisions that become involved in, to become involved in dangerous activities. Like my son told, told me a few months ago that he wanted to go skydiving. <laughs> decisions to do really dumb things. Um, decisions of your enemies. To be aggressive or not to be aggressive. Decisions of your values. After all, wisdom brings long life in the Proverbs. There's a lot of things he knows about you. And you haven't even done them yet. It's appointed. Your day is appointed. I don't know when it is, but God already knows it. It's appointed unto man once to die. First Corinthians or First Kings thirteen. We had Josiah named by name. Here we have a heathen named by name. First Kings thirteen one through four. Three hundred years before uh or several hundred years, I don't know exactly. Uh, so we're talking about a... I'll get it in a second. I'm trying to go through the notes here. Cyrus, name by name, to be the coming, coming king, off, off, who authorized the return of Israel from exile to Canaan. Isaiah prophesied in the days of Hezekiah mostly, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, in the 8th or 7th centuries. Cyrus ruled in the end, latter end of the 6th century BC. So, what was Isaiah anticipating? Isaiah's prophecy, as he spoke on behalf of the Lord, anticipated the birth of Cyrus, the very name his parents would give him, his conquest, his rule, his character, and a hundred and the hundreds and thousands of human decisions that would bring him to the point where he would one day sign a little document, put his little kingly seal on it, and tell the Jews to go back home. And it was written long before it ever happened. God ordained it. Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah. He knew the prophet in Jeremiah 1.5 before the prophet was born. And before the prophet was born, he ordained him to be a prophet. God knew a lot about Jeremiah. Jeremiah. God brought his parents together so Jeremiah could be. One would produce a specific individual named Jeremiah equipped in advance to be a prophet. And I'm reading verbatim from frame again. And a lot of free human decisions came into that to make a prophet for the Lord. Jeremiah himself Reports in advance in Jeremiah 37, 6-10. Free decisions of the Egyptians and Babylonian military leaders opposing uh, the predictions of rival pundits. Similar prophecies can be found all over the the prophets themselves where they're telling about Judah's captivity. How long Judah's captivity, specifically in Jeremiah, would last? Seventy years. Uh, Ezekiel would set forth future actions of the king of Babylon in great detail in Ezekiel 21, 26, and 30. Daniel's predictions of human empires, Daniel 2, Daniel 9, Daniel 11, anticipate innumerable free human decisions that went on for centuries. And even given a timetable and a sequence for how they're going to happen. God knew. Amen? I don't know if this is helping you or not, but I cannot take these facts and say, oh, well, God doesn't know the future. God knows details. Why? Because He ordained it and He wrote it before it ever happened. Even everything about you. New Testament teaches, for instance, that the Father knew the hour and day of the coming of the Son of Man. And He knew all the events and human decisions that were going to take place to bring that about. God knows in advance, said frame, that, the decision, that the, what decisions will be made, and He knows when they will be made. What about the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem? Jesus here says in Matthew 24 two. he said, as they're just bragging about the building, and he says there's not going to be one stone left on another stone here. How many free human decisions went into that? A lot. I like the Greek. It says stone on stone. Nope. <laughs> Basically. Uh, A lot of free decisions went out. Jesus knew who was going to betray him. Was Judas free to betray Jesus? He most certainly was. He was responsible for every decision he made. He knew when he chose him what he was going to do. This causes a problem for the open theist... Was Judas free? And yet Jesus knew? Everything about their whole system collapses. In Acts 2, as I come to a close here, in Acts 2.23, we've talked about this many times. A lot of free human decisions were made on the day they pinned Jesus Christ to that tree. Decisions of Pilate, decisions of the Jewish leaders, decisions of Herod. Decisions of the mob that stood outside Pilate's proletarium. And I thank God that all those free decisions were all written already and ordained by God. Because it says there in Acts 2.23 that it was done by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. It didn't take away the responsibility where Peter says you with wicked hands have destroyed according to the determinate counsel of God. The foreknowledge of God. Jesus in John 21 knew the very death that Peter was going to die therefore knew all the human decisions that were going to go into that very death. He says, Peter, one day someone's going to dress you and take you to where you don't want to go. Of course, this is is in light of his denial of Christ three times. Where did he not want to go? He didn't want to go to the cross where his Lord was going when he denied him. He says, one day someone's going to dress you and take you where you don't want to go, Peter. So Jesus indicates his foreknowledge of all the human decisions that went into that. My point is simply this. Open theist, because they want to elevate man to this godlike status, of being so free to do all these things they have to diminish god in order to fit god in that god, or man in that god like box and they end up with a system that cannot bear the weight of the truth of the scriptures about that god when we consider what our what all will goes into god saying this is going to happen Any one of these instances destroy this ideology. And we are left with a God that is to be praised because our God is all-wise, all-knowing, and there is nothing that escapes His knowledge. That doesn't mean that we're not responsible for our decisions. It only means that our God is a God that knows. And I can rest in a God like that. That God like that deserves my worship, deserves my praise, deserves all the glory and honor that I can give him. All right, we'll stop there. I hope we, give a good, we gave a good answer. But we're going to learn next week that uh, the open theists are not done yet. They're going to say, wait, 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 wait. Isn't there places in the Bible where God says he's ignorant of something? And we're going to have to deal with those texts, and we're going to, to confront those texts. But here, I hope we laid a really good foundation uh, for combating an unscriptural God. That's what that is. Any questions, complaints, or grievances? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's what I have, a, I I, I know a lot of Arminians, and even today, I, I probably hold things that, are, that lean that way, uh, but I don't think on a, something like this that it gives a satisfactory answer. Uh, his knowledge, his knowledge is based on his foreordination, of him ordaining things to come to pass and declaring things will come to pass and writing the story before it ever happens. Uh, that 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 is a far greater answer than than an Armenian answer that says, "Well, uh, uh, God hasn't foreordained it, but He just knows." Um, and I don't think the Arminian, my Arminian brothers, who I, many of them I love, and I, I'm not going to sit here and call myself a Calvinist either, but I, don't, I, I think when it comes to this particular argument, I don't think they have the ability to argue against the open theist as well. Um, because as we saw, we, we, we march through prophecy. And we, mar- and we march through the idea that God already knew the free decisions he was going to make and has already declared, this is what will be. Now, that doesn't mean I still haven't figured it all out, right? <laughs> I still, I, I can't wrap my mind around something like that. But I, I, I think that gives a better answer. I don't know how someone could consider these arguments that I made this morning, and they're not mine. I, I relied so heavily on, on Dr. Frame here. Um, I don't know how someone can take these arguments and say, well, God didn't ordain anything. And once once you have the idea that God ordained, that He is working all things after the counsel of His own will, once you have that truth, you can't be an open theist. You can't say God doesn't know what will be. Because our God most certainly does know what will be, uh, and that doesn't contradict. That is, one day we'll get to this idea of compatibilism. Whatever the scriptures are compatible <laughs> with free human decisions. Uh, sovereignty of God is compatible with those with that. We're not denying the responsibility of God or of man by saying God knows. And God ordains. Okay, I'll shut up. Okay. I'm three else. Correct. God God knows everything that's going to happen in my life, your life, even the very words we're going to speak. Yeah, it boggles the mind, don't it? But, but this, is what, this is what it says of our God, that he has. He is, we're going back to that famous verse, we keep going back to Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good. That, that, and somehow our God is so great that even all those free decisions, my decision to turn li- left and sort of my decision to turn right, God even decided beforehand to use me turning left Against his against what he told me to do, for good. Uh, And I'm disobedient, and I'm still disobedient, turning left. But God sure is going to use all things for the good of them that love God, even me turning left. And and that 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 is, well, the word that we are attaching to this is He's Lord. There is nothing that He is not Lord over. And that is the great theme of the Scriptures. Uh, and and I, I am amazed by the God of the Scriptures. I'm amazed by the God of the Scriptures that can take me turning left when I was when, when, when morally I ought to have turned right and I turned left anyway. That even that God is taking that and working it according to the counsel of his own will. And that's a God worthy of worship. That's a God worthy of falling down and saying, I worship you, Lord. You are my Lord and my God. I don't know if I was putting the words in your mouth there. Uh, Was that kind of what you were headed to? No, I mean, I'm still responsible for turning left or right. (laughs) Or going straight or whatever decisions. And I mean, man's heart, well, oops, a man's heart devises his own way. I'm sitting here making my plans and intentions, but uh, I'm only going to go as far as God allows me. Uh, and so are you. Anyway, I'll shut up. Any other questions, complaints, or grievances? <laughs> I'm glad I can be among God's people this morning. Uh, we've got about 10 minutes before the second hour.